So Money Episode 20, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. good way to figure out what you value most when it comes to money and spending. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We're going to tackle that question and many more in this weekend's edition of Ask Farnoosh. Now, it's just me this weekend, my brother, Todd. Many of you are big fans. Unfortunately, not here with us today uh, because good for him. He's at the Super Bowl. We talked about his dream of going to the Super Bowl, and uh, it turns out uh, his favorite team, the Patriots, are in this year's Super Bowl. So he saved up and made some trade-offs, and he bought his Super Bowl ticket, went by himself to Phoenix, and there he is this weekend. So uh, good luck, Todd, with, uh, with everything. Hope your team wins. In the meantime, lots and lots of great questions to get to. First, we're going to start with Charmaine. She asks, what is a good way to figure out what you value most when it comes to money and spending? Charmaine, this is a very, very, very good question. And I think what you first want to do, because I agree, money is meaningless. Money is sort of abstract unless we attach it to our values. So what are our values? What do we want in life? And how can we make our money support those things? Well, first I'd say, Figure out where you want to be in the next year and in the next five years. And that should give you a good sense of what your values are. Think about where you want to be in the next 12 months. Do you want to go back to school? Do you want to buy a home? Do you want to change careers? Do you want to start your own business? Do you want to start a college savings fund for your small children? Think about what your priorities are. And what are the top three, four, five things that you want to accomplish in the next year? And then start thinking longer term. Think about the next five years, the next 30 years. Not because uh, you want to be uh, obsessive about planning, but I find that when you try to figure out where to allocate your money and how to give your money meaning, it starts by asking yourself, what do I want out of my life? Where do I want to be? Goals carry price tags. And if you can identify the goals that you want to accomplish, you can then much better, more efficiently work backwards to get the money going where it needs to go. And so that would be my advice to you. Figure out your goals, short-term, long-term, and then start saving towards those goals. Great question, Charmaine. Thank you. Lily asks, hey, Farnoosh, I plan to do a lot of traveling this year. Awesome. Where are you going, Lily? I want to join a frequent flyer mile club but don't know which one is best for me. Do I have to open up a credit card to participate in a frequent flyer mile club? There's this hack where you can accumulate lots of points by opening up credit cards that reward lots of frequent flyer mile points. You use the card and then you cancel the card when you get the points. What are the pros and cons to this approach? Is this approach financially safe? Okay. So Lily, yes, there are some hackers out there and they've been profiled in the news about how they've been able to break into sort of the frequent flyer traveling system. And one of their tactics to reap a lot of points and potentially get free 
flights and free hotels and things like that, is they open up a lot of these frequent flyer mile cards, which give you maybe 25,000 miles uh, instantly just for opening up the card. And then, yeah, they might cancel it or they just never use the card. Here's the thing about that practice. I'm not a fan of opening up multiple credit cards within a short period of time. Every time you open up a credit card, you have to be aware that there's going to be a credit inquiry on your account every time you attempt to open up a credit card. It's considered a hard inquiry and it's not a positive thing. Multiple hard inquiries over a short period of time, say a couple of months, can lower your credit score. How much? Uh, It's not exactly scientific, but I would say at least 10 points, maybe more, depending on the number of credit cards you're opening up. So if you're somebody who wants to keep your credit score in good shape, this may not be the right approach. Instead, what I would do is do some really good research. Go to nerdwallet.com. And full disclosure, I'm a contributor at NerdWallet. It's a great site for examining what are the different credit cards out there that best meet your needs. And if you're somebody who's looking to find a fantastic frequent flyer credit card, just one, that's going to be able to give you the most points for the type of traveler you are based on the kinds of airlines you like to fly with, the frequency of your travel, um, et cetera, et cetera, they can narrow down some picks for you. And so I would recommend doing that research and picking one credit card. And no, you don't have to open up a credit card to take advantage of miles and points. Um, Sometimes, for example, Virgin and JetBlue, they have their own rewards programs that don't require you actually opening up a branded credit card with them. Instead, what it is is you just open up sort of a, it's a rewards program. So you open up an account, you just give them your email and some information, and they track your miles flown on their airline. And after you hit a certain number of miles, they might give you some sort of perk, whether it's a free seat or it's a discount. And so every airline usually has some sort of its own rewards program that is not tied to a credit card. It's not going to be as exciting, perhaps, as opening up a credit card and and boom, you've earned 25,000 miles. But the rewards programs are great if you're always using a particular airline or a lot of time going with a particular airline and you're going to quickly rack up miles with an airline, then either opening up that airline's credit card or joining their rewards program could be one way to gain incentives. Desiree wants some confidence. She asks, am I on the right track? I have a full-time job with a bonus. I'm 22 years old. I'm applying for graduate school. I live with a high rent cost with $200 in savings out of every paycheck. I use my yearly bonus as my savings. I have a retirement plan donating the minimum, adding more monthly as I make more. What else can I do? Well, Desiree, I'd say you're off to a good start. You're 22 years old, and the fact that you're listening to this show, the fact that you're asking me questions, and the fact that you are saving whatever you can is fantastic. You are a millennial. You are way ahead of the, the curve. And you know, I find that so many millennials are graduating from college today behind the financial eight ball. We've got credit card debt. We've got student loan debt, sometimes in the six figures. Sometimes it's hard to even find that full-time job that pays a bonus, that pays a salary. So... You, Desiree, are way ahead of the curve, and congratulations. Good job. Where I might see some room for improvement? Well, you say that you are saving the minimum in your retirement plan, and I would say try to uh, do a little bit better in that department. I know that when you're 22, you know, retirement seems like eons away, 
And yes, it is probably 40, 45 years away, but the earlier you start saving and the more you can save in your 20s, the more you'll be thanking yourself when you hit 30, 40, 50, 60. When you ask somebody who's, say, a baby boomer, someone who's in their 50s, 60s, they will often tell me that the one thing they regret not doing in their 20s when it comes to money is saving more for retirement. Because as you will learn, the older you get, the harder it will be to save. Right now, if it's just you and you're only worried about your well-being, uh, do what you can to put as much as possible for your future. Because the older you get, the more responsibilities you're going to have, the more things you're going to have to afford, children, a house. And retirement is going to be harder and harder and harder to save for. But the good news is, Desiree, you're on the right track. You're, you're establishing this behavior, this habit now. I like knowing that you're adding more monthly as you make more. That's very smart. I would say try to get on some sort of an automatic plan with your company if you're not already, where they automatically increase your contribution every year as you begin to make more money. And if your company is offering you a match where they're saying, okay, Desiree, we'll give you 50 cents for every dollar you put into your retirement plan, and we'll do this up to maybe 5% of your income, at least do that, uh, at least, because there you're not giving up any free money. And so I like what I'm hearing. I like that uh, you're you're prioritizing your income, focusing on saving. Your rent is high, you say. So if you can in the next six to months to a year, look for a better place or more affordable place, get a roommate. You know, housing eats up so much of our budgets. And especially when you're young, you want to, you know, you're excited to be living on your own. You might overdo it with housing. You might go over your budget. Try to keep your rent to no more than 30, 25% of your take-home pay. Thanks, Desiree. You know, I remember moving to New York for the first time after college and trying to find a place to live that was within my means. And I looked and looked and looked. I went on Craigslist. I, I went on a bunch of different listservs to find housing. And I found this one apartment that was $550 a month. I would get my own room in my in a two-bedroom apartment on the Upper West Side in a doorman building, a beautiful home, fully furnished, right by my grad school. I thought it was too good to be true. And so I dismissed it. I put it at the very end of my list. When I went to New York to look at housing, I, I looked at it at the very end of the day after I'd looked at several other apartments that were like three, four times the cost every month and hating every single one of those apartments because they, there was always a, a, like something that was insufferable. And there was one that I just literally spent probably 45 seconds and before I decided I had to leave. Um, it was this uh, scary, scary studio apartment in a very nice neighborhood. However, I walked in and it looked like a CSI crime scene. It just, you know, had like the one window that was facing the brick wall. All it was lacking was the yellow police line do not cross tape. Uh, the carpeting looked like it hadn't been touched in a hundred years. Um, so I I left feeling completely defeated and then realized I had this one last apartment to look at that was, oh great, $500 a month. How great could this be? And let me tell you, it was amazing. I walked in and it was this gorgeous building. You know, So what was the catch? The catch was I had to live with a married couple. And uh, at that point, I was like, you know what? $500 a month. I can walk to my classes every morning. It was 10 blocks in this beautiful, in this beautiful neighborhood, beautiful apartment. 
the couple was nice as far as I could tell. <laughs> and so I signed the lease right then and there. I ended up living there for about two and a half years and saved so much money. All my friends at school who were living on campus in a dorm or on-campus housing, they were paying more than I was. I just call it sheer luck, but also keeping my eye out for a deal. That's how I made it work in the first couple years moving to New York, and I credit that for helping me not get really too far into debt and being able to save when I moved to the most expensive city in the country. Barbara wants to know, my husband and I are seniors. He is 80 and I am 66 years old, and we have our house and cars paid off. Great. And a good sum of money in the bank. We have a savings account with 0.25 interest a year. Please give me a hint on how to invest better this money. I already asked you before, but never saw an answer. Oops, sorry, Barbara. Please, please let me know. It's very important to me. We have no children. Okay, Barbara. Well, first, I'm sorry for missing your question last time, but I'm glad you re-asked it. And that's a note to all of you out there. If you've asked me a question and you haven't heard me answer it on the show, be persistent. So uh, she does, I don't know how much you have in this bank, and uh, I, would, I would say that at your stage in life, your husband is 80, you're 66, it's really important to have liquidity. Now, that said, don't abandon investing altogether. You're 66, you're still, you know, and if you're healthy, you know, you hopefully have another 30 years, 40 years ahead of you. So I would say for money that your husband might need for his living expenses, his needs, health needs, make sure that you have a reserve that's liquid that you can access that might just be a savings account earning 0.25%. That's fine because at your stage in life, there are going to be some wild card costs potentially that are related to medical costs. I know you don't have a lot of other expenses, but I think that at this stage, it's less about investing and more about just having access to your money quickly in case you need it for an emergency. Now for you, you're only 66. So I would say if you have some sort of an investment account, you might want to look at some index funds, low risk funds uh, that are low fee, that perhaps follow the market, uh, that you can put a portion of that money in, not all of it, but a, maybe a fraction. They, the rule of thumb is you take 100, you subtract your age, and that is the percentage that you want to be invested in the stock market. The rest of your money should be in safe haven accounts. If you want to be a little bit more aggressive with your money, I would say maybe 30% of it or 25% of it, I would feel comfortable saying you can put that in uh, some index funds, to help it grow a little bit more aggressively, but the rest I think you want to keep in a liquid savings account. That would be my advice. And congrats on paying off your home and your car. Your sounds like you're in a good place. Mark, hello, Mark. He says, just want to say hi. Hey, how you doing? And he wants to say, I love reading your blogs and your articles. Thanks, Mark. You seem so cool, and you are very knowledgeable about money. Keep up the great work. Oh, wow. Guys, I didn't make that up. That was that was totally a testimonial from Mark, and um, that is really sweet. So I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following. And ask me a question sometime. I'm here. I'm all ears. Sukh is asking, I'm a recent graduate with about 200000 in student loans. My gosh. Wow. I am employed and making $50,000 before taxes. My current loan payments are about $2,000 a month. My goal is to pay my loan and start saving at the same time. What should, be, what should I be looking into in order to save money for myself? All right, Sue, I would say 
take a deep breath. $200,000 in student loans, you have a long road ahead of you. Uh, The good news is you're starting out at a pretty solid salary. It's going to increase. You're going to be making more money in the years to come. So it's about really just staying the course, making those $2,000 payments every single month. And when you have a little bit of leftover at the end of the month or the end of the year, making maybe one or two extra payments on those student loans towards the principal only. That is key. Do not write another check to the balance. Uh, That includes interest and principal. You want to knock down the principal as quickly as possible. So when you have an overage, when you have, let's say, birthday money, when you get a raise and you have a little bit of a wiggle room, uh, to, to put more money towards something, I would say put one or two extra payments a year towards the principal of that student loan. It could knock down your payments significantly, get you out of paying that debt. It, it could shave a year or two off of your repayment plan and you would save, I would guess, at this with 200000 in student loans, you could save thousands in interest by doing this every single year. Now, with regards to saving for yourself, you know, Take baby steps. You're not going to have a whole lot left over if you're paying $2,000 a month minimum towards your student loan. So if you can live a minimal life, you can reduce your expenses significantly. Try to start first with an emergency savings account of $50 a week. Then maybe make it $100 a week. Try to take baby steps with your rainy day savings account. And I say rainy day savings first, retirement next. I want to make sure that you don't have to get into any credit card debt in the event that you have to suddenly pay for something and you don't have the money. Your car breaks down. You have um, a medical bill that uh, has a very high copayment. You have to go on a prescription drug that uh, is not covered by insurance. Life happens, and sometimes you need at least two or three thousand dollars in the bank to help you in the event of an unexpected expense. Then, if you're working at a company that has a 401k, I want you to start getting enrolled automatically and increase your contributions every single year as your salary increases. So maybe you start with just a few, three or four percent, then the next year you go to five, six percent. Ultimately, you want to get to a place where you are allocating at least 10% of your income every year towards a 401k. And as I said earlier, if your company is offering a match, do that. Try to do at least enough where you're benefiting from the match. So good luck to you. Keep us posted. $200,000 in loans is no small number. So focus on that. And remember, do not skip any payments on those student loans. Student loans we call sometimes good debt, but guess what? You miss a payment and it becomes ugly, ugly, mean, wretched debt that will haunt you, uh, that will make you pay the price in fees and late payment fees and interest. And so do not default on those loans. Make that your priority. Maybe even get a second job. I'm not kidding. With that much in in debt, you may want to consider getting a side gig, you know, doing some side work on the weekends, at night. You know, you're still young. So take advantage of your youth and your body clock in your body that's allowing you to stay up perhaps till three, four in the morning and still have energy. That's not me anymore, but that was me when I was in my 20s. So consider maybe finding a a second shift, a night shift, a weekend shift somewhere, somehow, and dedicate that income to paying off your student loans more aggressively. Okay, and we have one last question here from Bruce. Bruce says, let's say you just got engaged to be married. 
What should you do in order to save money or even use it more selectively for marriage? Should you visit a certified financial planner? What are some other ways to stretch a dollar in order to eventually get into a home, college fund for your children, or even be able to retire? So the first thing that comes to my mind, Bruce, is something that my good friend did and something that I practiced a little bit before our marriage, which was try to live on just one person's salary and completely save the other person's salary for six months, for nine months. You get engaged, but the wedding may not be for another year or two years. And then, or, you know, even after you get married, you want to buy that home, that might take another two years. So getting in the practice now of saving and some of the best ways to do that is to allocate one person's income solely to expenses, the other person solely to savings. This is not going to work for every couple, especially if there's a wide income disparity. But if you're living together before you get married, you're combining your expenses, you're combining your costs, then consider this a fun way, a short-term fun way to quickly ramp up your savings for whatever it is that you want to afford, whether it's that wedding or it's that honeymoon or it's that first home or a new car. It can also, that practice of living on just one salary will allow you to find ways to save that you may not have thought of before. You find ways to budget. You find things that you were spending on that are meaningless. And so that is why I like this practice as well. It's not just a quick way to save, but it's also a really great way to learn how to live more meaningfully. And in the future, God forbid one of you loses your jobs, you know how to make ends meet on just one salary. Experiment with it. And even if you just do it for one month, you know, I think that saving your entire salary for one month, that's that's good money. All right, everyone, that's all the time we have for today's edition of Ask Farnoosh. As a reminder, to ask me a question, just hop on to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh. Send me your questions. I love hearing from you. And hopefully next weekend we'll be joined again by my brother, Todd. Hope you're having a good time with the Super Bowl, Todd. Hope you're listening. Thanks, everyone. Hope your day is so money.